podcast name played nobody uh the first of probably what will be mini emergency editions as we go through the silly season um but elliot we knew that uh usc would uh would likely open after last night it seems like they will now we have an east coast opening of of uh equal magnitude and thus it begins so florida state has fired willie taggart um it was funny as i was recording our, our pap and hurry up this morning with rich with uh with alex as you guys were all kind of in the wind and you texted me as I was traveling today, right after I said, well, surely it won't happen because you and I were both convinced, I think, of the same opinion that it just didn't feel like it would happen this year. It didn't feel like it, unless the absolute bottom fell out that it was that this was going to be a problem for Willie Taggart. And here we are. Yeah, like, look, I don't think Florida State was happy with the direction the program is going, obviously, but they did not want to have to fire Willie Taggart. Uh, last night didn't leave them with much of a choice, obviously. Third straight game where you have to take a timeout on special teams, uh, rampant internal disorganization that, you know, the power players and the decision makers on the inside of the program got to see up close. And I believe we're kind of asking around about how things were being run uh, internally and just a team that was largely undisciplined and uh, wrought with penalties uh, yet again uh, to get blown out by this Miami team, which recently lost to Georgia Tech. And, you know, like, look, I... I bet Miami. I I think Miami's a better team than Florida State is, and said so uh, before the game. But you know, to lose at, at home, uh, twenty-seven to ten, and, and largely be uh, be non-competitive against that Miami team, uh, it just made a lot more financial sense for them to go ahead and pay seventeen million rather than basically have all the fans and boosters quit on the guy, which is what was going to happen. Uh, attendance has been down. This is a common trend in college football, obviously, but it's also a common trend when when that weird zeitgeist thing kind of happens where a coach is struggling for whatever reason, be it justified or not, and fans feel like this coach is not going to be around for a long time, and you see attendance plummet. In Florida State's case, there's a there's a standard. That standard hasn't been lived up to in a long time, including the end of the Jimbo Fisher era. Um, how much do you think that the apathy of the of the rank and file, you know, what we call T-shirt and hat or sidewalk alumni had to do with this? Uh, I certainly think it had a, a decent bit to do with it uh, in terms of um, when the administration was trying to determine, you know, what kind of money they'd be bringing in for the next few years. But also, like, look, part of that is is really Willie Taggart's fault. Uh, he was the one who came in and made the famous, you know, everybody tells me I got a bunch of turds on this roster, but I don't think we have any turds here uh, comment at AC Media Day. And he's the one who booster stop after booster stop sold this thing as not a rebuild. And not a reload, but like they were ready to go right then. And look, to be honest, I feel like I know this team pretty well. And he made me think, like question myself last year, man, is this team actually better than I think it is? Right, right. He's like, he's out there not trying to tamp down expectations at all. And I know for a fact that people told him, hey, man, like the previous staff, this this was the, the weed dealer on, 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 on the previous team. You know, like this, the staff knew you couldn't count on this kid and this kid and this kid, and this kid will fool you, right? Yeah. And, and he's he's not a kid who you can believe in. When the going gets tough, you can't count on him. And I was very surprised that he, you know, kind of made those comments. And so what ended up happening was it really contributed to this belief in the fans that Willie Taggart did not know what he was doing. Because if you compare it to like what Scott Frost did, Scott Frost got into Nebraska, and he said, guess what? You think that loss was bad? It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah, you've talked a lot about Nebraska, and it, it is very interesting. 
um, because Frost has made no bones about it from day one. Obviously, a, a much more difficult situation in Nebraska case, and we talk about this on PAPN all the time, where <clears throat> you're Florida State. You, you know, if you are a if you are a P five school in the state of Florida, um, your ability to rebuild, reload, whatever you want to brand it is different. It's easier. It's more accessible for obvious geographic reasons. Now. The thing that strikes me right now, and there's a lot of things out there that are being reported as this story comes together, but, um, you know, just to go back to what you said for a second, he immediately got in there and kind of simultaneously talked aggressively to the players, but also kind of loved them up in a certain way of saying, you know, I remember when the last time I was there before the beginning of last season, Bud, I think I called you and talked to you about this. You know, they, they they had education seminars for the players on kind of the Florida State legacy and how important it is and how cool it is. And, you know, they were watching the Bowden Dynasty video, and he loved it more than I've ever seen any coach in the modern era love a job he walked into. I've never seen anything like it, man. And I was there, you know, I think two weeks after he took the Oregon job. And that was a good, cool job and a great job and a great career move. This was something different. I think maybe it blinded him. Um, he did not play the PR the right way. What I'm curious about is, and we'll never know, obviously, would that have worked over time? Would he have done that thing that he was able to do with so many problem kids or borderline players, be it for a character issue, a great issue, whatever? He was... He was very good about not giving up until they gave him a reason to give up on him. It cost him here, ultimately. But I'm curious, but had he stayed through 2020, would 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 do you think that his his style of culture would have ever created a nine win or a ten win Florida State team? Uh, I, I think it's possible. Um, you know, he, there are some real strategic mis- missteps that he made, and there are also some uh, some you know, things that were kind of out of his control, right? Like Fisher staff not really recruiting offensive linemen for the previous two years and just leaving him with with really nothing at that position. I mean, the unquestionably probably the worst Power 5 offensive line last year and you know, one of the worst this year. Like they've actually improved from, you know, terrible to bad, which is a legitimate step up mm-hmm. uh, this year. There's not a whole lot he can do about that necessarily, although I did fault him for it in the offseason. I said, look, you're – you're the guy who is in the best position to know here what you have coming back on this roster. For you not to go out and get two college-ready bodies and be be on that transfer portal immediately and earlier, that that's on you, right? Like, you can go and get somebody who can play and start at Florida State. Not be a good ACC player, but be a, a below-average ACC player as opposed to having, you know, maybe the two worst tackles in the ACC uh, yet again, which for at least a period of the season, uh, it's happened. I, I think... The APR thing did hamstring him quite a bit, uh, being unable to shed the roster of some of these kids. So I don't know that he necessarily had a choice but to embrace uh, some of them. But yeah, he did have he did have a choice about the messaging, and I do think that his messaging, as far as how good the team was going to be and how, like, just no there there was it was all gas no brakes about how good they were going to be and how early like they were going to be good. And but I'll he, say this: I think we've said it. I, I think we've said this before. I, when I the last time I talked to him face to face, he was convinced of the talent that he had. This was not something he was saying publicly. This was something he actually believed. Well, that uh, that makes me believe he might be incompetent as far as talent evaluation. I mean, it, it's not just a, the fans thinking that. I mean, if he really thought that some of these guys in his team were, were capable of playing at, at a, like a competent ACC level, like your offensive line and maybe some of your linebackers. Um, 
you know, I really have to question that. And then initially, I, you know, I, well, well, let me, I'm not trying to backpedal too much, but I, look, obviously he knew there were issues right away. He knew, I mean, he was concerned about the quarterbacks from day one. He was concerned about the offensive line from day one, the APR thing he was really worried about. So I definitely buy in the idea that he didn't really get a choice. I'm just, I, I'm really curious now because we're, there's so much context here that relates to a situation like Arkansas, right? Where they still have shown zero, zero positive progress in any aspect recruiting player development on field wins i mean even just like sustaining drives at this point taggart had flashes it was kind of maddening i'm sure if florida state expects a certain standard um we we touched on this briefly on papn he comes out with a 35 17 win over syracuse i likened it back to when they played syracuse the same year he was on the hot seat at usf and everything kind of clicked my assumption, Bud, was that they would beat Miami because they had lost to Georgia Tech. And yes, that is armchair comparative analysis. But Miami, I mean, Bud, you know this better than anybody. Miami has very similar issues, right? Offensive line, inconsistent quarterback play. And all of a sudden, it was a completely lopsided game inside of Doak. Um, let me ask you this. ESPN's reporting that essentially it was all private funding that, that raised the 20-some-odd million, I think, that it takes. Um do you know anything about the timeline of this? I mean, this is for that level of money. This is a really quick turnaround. So uh, this is not something that happened overnight, right? Like I, I know okay. that for a while they did not have the money from boosters. Uh, and apparently now they did have it. Now ESPN on the bottom of the crawl, um, the bottom of their crawl says that FSU is denying that this was all private funding. Okay. So, there's some stuff that I don't know fully how to explain here. Mm-hmm. Um, That's okay. We can punt it to another date. I mean, we're doing this. Can we? Uh, yeah. We're doing this. I'll put it this way. We're doing this live as Bud and I both are like, we're both. I familiar. definitely think that Booster stepped up. Uh, yeah. I will say that. Like people who were previously not willing to open their wallet or not willing to open their wallet to that page, I believe, open their wallet more. Uh, well, I'll say this on, on behalf of Bud, because we're both sort of working our phones and as this thing happens. And so this is an exercise in reporting as it literally happens. Um, Bud, you talked about this. I, I heard about it, but you, I think you, you had talked about it a little bit more that, you know, there were overtures made or at least sort of like a, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Increase. Um, yeah, inquiries. They're, they're, they they touch base with Willie's reps about about the contract, and, and when that came out, and we talked about it, I think you said this is not entirely uncommon. This is something that happens more frequently than people realize, just regarding contract statuses and buyouts and restructuring of things. This had happened recently. Um, I think we can be led to believe now that this was, you know, in in essentially an effort to get the final you know buyout together. At least it looks very much like that. Um, there is a lot to talk about. We will talk a lot about it this week. Um, one of the things I want to touch on now is Florida State before we t- go back and talk about Willie Taggart. Um, there's no particular fast track to success now. Whether or not you believe that there was ever going to be a fast track back to national title success with Willie Taggart, mo- a lot of the issues that Florida State faced when Taggart walked in the door are now fresh and new all over again. I mean, you're you're going to be the person who tells everybody, hey, when you hire a new coach, you lose a signing class in December. Florida State is about to – I mean, you tell me, bud, are they going to just outright lose a signing class again? A lot of it depends on who they hire, right? If they go out and they're able to take Bob Stoops and get him in immediately, then, you know, perhaps not. Uh, 
if you have to wait for somebody who's in the college ball playoff, then yeah, you're likely to have a really, uh, really poor signing class two out of the last three years. Right. Um, there are some issues that Willie does deserve credit for, um, for fixing. I think it, it shouldn't be all negative, right? He did do some good things in Tallahassee first. He, he made substantial steps, I believe, towards getting the APR better. Uh, and it's not fully fixed yet because it's a four-year rolling average and you still have those last three Jimbo Fisher semesters on, on the, you know, on the average, right? That's uh, the anchor. But it's a bet. The APR is in a better spot now than it was when when Willie took over. He also has managed to, at least in terms of like off field behavior, I think they had one arrest in his time, maybe. Uh, so he did get those guys acting better. Um, the talent is not great, but it's not terrible. Uh, they're a little more stable across the board now. The problem is. Willie was unable to get them to play well in games. And they oftentimes, even though I don't think the talent on this team is amazing, they definitely played below their talent level uh, consistently. So we'll have to see if a new guy, whoever he is, can come in there and uh, and help fix that. Um, what is there an obvious move from a roster standpoint, not from a headline-making standpoint? So what I'm asking you specifically as someone who understands Florida football talent is there a move or a type of coach, or you could even say, hey, it's this coach, that you would go after to best streamline this second, sort of second and a half rebuilding process they're about to undergo? I would say a guy who also runs the spread. I don't think you want to go, you know, pro style to spread for two years, then then back to, right. uh, you know, back to pro style. Most of the teams in, in the state of Florida now uh, run the spread. You know, they, they, they like to score points. Florida State obviously wants to see uh, points scored. My expectation here is that Florida State will be going after a proven name, right? A guy who they feel is not going to have this internal disorganization, uh, is not going to look clueless on the sidelines at times, and is, is going to know what he's doing. Um, I think with that, you run the risk of potentially hiring a retread who's beyond his prime. If you don't get the hire right, Yeah, you, you know, like that's kind of the potential downside of it. Potential upside is that you nail it. We'll, we'll have to see. There, there's no guarantees, obviously, in hiring coaches. I mean, I mentioned Bob Stoops. That's clearly the guy out there that you have to go kick the tires on, I think, because of the fact you could get him in right now. I mean, he's coaching in the XFL. I think he's 59 or 60, so he's not ancient. I mean, he's not an up-and-comer. But that would be the name, I think, that they would – at least you have to reach out to uh, first. In addition to, you know, you have to see, hey, how, how happy is James Franklin at, at Penn State, that type of stuff. Before you move on to, I think, some names that would probably have people maybe less excited, like a, maybe a Mark Stoops, right, who um, you know has done a decent job at Kentucky, obviously, but has also I mean, lost to Florida a couple times by not having enough players on the field on defense. Uh, so you bring up James Franklin. We should we should mention this one more time, though. Um, so Stan Wilcox, the previous AD, when he was conducting the search where they ultimately landed on Taggart, they did kick the tires on Franklin substantially. Um, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see as they revisit that, um, mainly because we, we are all very much in, um, agreement as like a media collective, assuming that USC will open. Now the reports out there are linking Cincinnati AD Mike Bond to, uh, the, uh, the opening there for the open AD job. The reason that's interesting to me. And I, I checked with some people this weekend, he didn't travel with Cincinnati to, to ECU this weekend. Uh, multiple people expect him that I've spoken with, expect him to be named, uh, within a week, if he is the the new AD, um, 
I would just assume based on what I've heard that he's going to make a change and he'll be brought in as really sort of the first thing is to, is to make a change with that football program. They lost a game um, last night that was they being USC to, to Oregon that has shades of, of Miami, Florida state in that it was at home. They, they knew they were not necessarily um, as, as uh, experienced and talented at particular positions that they wanted to be, but they were still USC I see a lot of I see a lot of similarities here, Bud. This is what I'm driving at. They expected a more competitive game against an Oregon team that's still transitioning its own identity and not completely fit for what it's doing. We've talked about that on PAPN. And instead, Oregon came in, beat them in every phase, beat them badly in the Coliseum. So now, when you talk mega names like Urban Meyer and Bob Stoops, and then on down to even even the more realistic uh, options like James Franklin, um, you're now comparing these two programs. I don't know. I mean, there's no reason to ask you this, but it's going to be very interesting to see who thinks they're a fit or who think that who thinks there's a better upside at Florida State versus Southern Cal and vice versa. So we don't know like what USC's money situation is. Uh, right. I, I don't think Florida State's money situation is great, but I also don't think that Florida State would have done this if it had to go cheap on the next one, right? Like I, I think they'll find a way to pay somehow. Um, USC, though, I think is a more attractive job right now simply because within the Pac-12, um, it, you, there's no real like monster being built out there. I think that you have to fight if you assume that you cannot recruit you know, Oregon if you get a guy you know, like a Meyer or a Franklin at USC. USC also, I believe, has a new president and a new AD, uh, two things Florida State does not have. And Florida State's uh, president and AD are not expected to be in their current positions uh, for the long term. In fact, I think I'd be pretty surprised if you got like six combined years out of them, um, you know, starting, starting now. Uh, so I think USC is a much more attractive job at this point, simply because of the stability. It's real important to know who your bosses are. I also think Florida state could have a new booster president, um, you know, fairly soon as well. So that, that's kind of your third boss who you might have to deal with some there, but I'm not really sure they're, they're swinging at, at, at the same candidates either. Right. Like my guess that the people making the higher Florida state will try to go, for someone with some, you know, some ties to the Southeast, right? Experience coaching, you know, coaching in Florida, USC is probably going to go either for a huge national name or somebody with experience uh, coaching on the West Coast. I would guess, right? I mean, just if we can kind of generalize here, I may be wrong. No, I think I think those are entirely possible. It's funny just because Franklin has been linked with both jobs in different ways. Um, I think a lot of it's more wish fulfillment on USC's part with Franklin. We know that Franklin. And his people were contacted about uh, by Florida State in this last go around, but um, I'm not asking you to. I'm not. I'm not going to ask you to do the talk radio thing and sort of tell me what people are feeling. But in a zeitgeist sense, because you are connected vis a vis, you know, the the area and <laughs> the degree and the Tomahawk Nation, and everything else is like, are people still blaming Jimbo Fisher tonight, or is it just squarely on Taggart? I think people who are informed would give some level of blame to Jimbo, right? Because of how he left the program. And I think it's kind of unavoidable. Uh, but I think because of how the team played, right? The, yeah. the level of sloppiness, uh, the, the disorganization. I mean, three straight games having to take a timeout because you only have 10 men on punt team. Right. I mean, that's just sort of, like, why is that happening? Uh, that, that, that's just kind of simple stuff. And that, that's what we, we try to do on Nolcast a lot, which is like, hey, which of the stuff can we pretty clearly identify as nothing to do with the previous guy, everything to do with you not being organized as a coach and not managing your sideline 
and your program well. And stuff like that is is big. You know, having having four false start or illegal formation penalties in the first half at home against Miami, which are drive killers. Um, Why? Like you're at home. To that end, I would ask you this: If so, so now uh, as Willie Taggart as his representatives, he's CAA Sexton guy. Um, it's a big, big question to ask: What's next? Because this man, for as long as I've known him. And all the stops he made had this job as his, you know, retirement as his as his legacy. He said repeatedly, publicly, that he wants to be the first African American coach to win a national championship. And you know, very recently he tagged on at Florida State. This is what he always wanted. This is this is who he always wanted to be. And tonight that has ended. Based on what you've seen as as his time as Florida State head coach, um. What of this performance feels the most unforgivable, or or what? Let me say this: What's going to be held against him when he goes out for that inevitable next job? I I, I think the the sloppiness and the disorganization probably that you see, you know, on the field, and it kind of started with the uh, the the first night against Virginia Tech, right, where they they come out and they're doing the swag surfing and it's awesome, and they just look really disorganized against a, a V Tech team that was. You know, that was pretty bad. Um, yeah. I think people will interpret that as more flash instead of substance, right? Not not focusing on the details and the fundamentals, et cetera. Um, I think that'll probably be held against him. But look, Willie Taggart's young enough to where if he wants to stay coaching, and I I assume he, he's not just going to leave coaching, although he just got a $17 million check or, you know, will accumulate that over the next three years. Um, like, I think he could end up, being a good head coach at some point. Yeah. Clearly there's been some lessons of some type that along the way he either forgot or, or didn't get. And so it might actually help him to go be a position coach for somebody, for, you know, m- maybe the saving rehabilitation program for a little bit and just see, okay, like these are, are why some of these little details inside the program matter. Um, and also I think, I think Florida state's PR slash like media, not like the media outside the program, but like the internal, um, you know, media relations type thing. They, they were undergoing a change, obviously. Uh, and then I, somebody should have helped him, I think, with the messaging more. Okay. Right. If, if Or they should have had him run the message by somebody. He should have said, hey, wait a second. Like, how does this say? This is what I'm going to say to the boosters. This is what I'm going to say at these press conferences. Um, and somebody should have said, wait, like, are you really sure? Because you, you can't. Like you guys can barely run practice when your second team offensive lines in there. Like, what happens if you get one starter hurt? <laughs> you know, like, is this really smart? Do we think that you have to be so aggressive with this message as far as you know, win now, win now, win now? Um, I, it, it does make you wonder. Like, that's something that could be fixed at, at, at the next stop, right? Like, he could mm-hmm. have better PR, better messaging. He could become a little bit better in terms of speaking in public uh, and w- when he's being interviewed. All those things, I think, are correctable. The guy is really good at individual relationships with yeah. with people and parents and recruits, and I think that's something that is much harder to teach. Uh, and so, if you if you give me Willie Taggart, I don't know, eight years from now, six years from now, as as a head coach of a of a P five program, it wouldn't completely shock me um, if he's been able to improve on those things. He could even have really good success. Like this was a tough situation to come into. He made it tougher. 
it didn't work out in really rapid fashion. So is this some sort of Ed Orgeron journey that we're going to see? I mean, I have to say that because LSU is ranked number one going into the Pama game this week. Is this, I mean, are we going to see him back in 10 years? I mean, uh, not, probably not at, uh, at Florida State, obviously. Right. But uh, I, I think it's possible. I mean, how old is Willie? 40? Like, I believe he's 44. We'll check, right? We'll check uh, as, as we do this live and, and dirty. Um, he's, he's not a, uh, 43. So, uh, just turned 43. He was born in 76. Um, yeah, you know, a, a lot of coaches now earmark 60 is sort of like, I'm going to burn out by then age and kind of get my money by then. And, you know, that's, he's got plenty of time in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up, you know, ha- having a lot of success eventually, but right now I, I just think he needs to, he also, I think needs a bigger coaching tree. Um, some of the guys that he has with him, I don't know if they are upper P5 caliber coaches. And some of these dudes are the dudes who have been the most loyal to him. Um, and talking to other coaches on that staff who were not Willie guys, yes, they thought, and especially some of the guys on, on the first half who, who left, they thought that he let those guys slide with stuff. This is something, just to reiterate what Bud said, this has been a problem of his, and it's a, it's a delicate line to walk. I'm not saying that you need to fire your friends on principle, but I think, Bud, a lot of this had to do with how fast he rose. Mm-hmm. And you learn as you go stop to stop that you cannot manage a group of friends as a staff and you carry them with you all the time and have a lifelong OC and a lifelong D. Like that, it, that just doesn't exist anymore. And he had a core group. And look, he was he was not afraid of firing guys. That was not the issue, but he had this this structure around him. I think that I, yeah, I'm trying to be diplomatic. Let me just say that the, the, introspection has blind spots, and and I think that that may have cost him in a lot of regards. So, but uh, last thing, and then we'll we'll kind of clean up the rest of this on the coaching show as well as PAP in this week. Um, rule some shit out for me right now. Urban Meyer's not going to Tallahassee, okay? No. I think people have lost the script with Florida State, and I don't mean that to, to run down Florida State. I actually mean it just like, let's understand what Florida State is. Um, it is a top 10 job in football, flat out, in college football. I just don't think that a, a lot of people, we're getting into some super dumb speculative stuff in the first couple of hours of this firing news. Um, Meyer's one I would instantly shoot down. I don't. I can't think of one I would instantly shoot down unless you've got one. Uh, Meyer would be one that, that I would definitely shoot down. I would pretty strongly shoot down the idea of a coordinator. Um, I couldn't 100% shoot it down, but because obviously Fisher was a coordinator, but he had some enormous advantages in terms of being the head coach and waiting there for yeah. several years, especially yeah. that was back before the rule change to where as HCIW, he could actually take the number of visits to like in-home visits and prospect visits as an assistant, as opposed to as the head coach, which of course are limited. Um, like Brom, I don't think is a real option because his buyout is enormous. I mean, Florida State just basically had to pay twenty over three years to to fire Willie. I don't think that they're going to be in a position to hire somebody whose buyout is also you know fifteen plus. Right. Does that, that that's thirty five million in buyouts? That that's a lot. At a certain point, the money has to like. I mean, I've right. written about this, and you you can tell people better than I can. I know I've reported on it. Florida State, I mean, is a big-time football program of the highest regard, but, I mean, there, there's a limit to everybody's coffers. They were uh, – I mean, they've not been a co-ed institution for, for that long. They do not have a whole lot of majors that produce 
a bunch of people who make a lot of money, right? Like right. Florida had most of the the hard sciences and stuff. Florida State had teachers and artists and whatnot because it was a you know a female school for a long time, you know, women's college. Uh, and so like they don't their scholarships are not endowed. You know, that's not something I think would shock most people out there. So a lot of the money they bring in, or at least some of it, has to go towards paying scholarships on a yearly basis. They do not have the kind of money that some of these other schools have. What they do have, of course, from a recruiting standpoint, is geography, right? I mean, that that's that's something that, uh, you know, to quote our friend Andy Staples tonight, somebody said they're, they're only one one bad hire away, you know, from becoming Nebraska. Uh, and Andy said, I don't think they're one bad hire away from not having any good high school football players around them. Bro, it never snows in Tallahassee. It's right. that simple, man. That That's the truth. All right, Bud Elliott, I appreciate it. I know you had a long day. We caught you on the end of the um, making people money on that Twitch. So, <laughs> sir, uh, take a rest. We will discuss this at length this week. Um, but, yeah, shocking news. Um, whew, strange times, and here comes the silly season. I appreciate it, sir.